A McCain cover-up, Mueller speaks, and when keeping it Twitter goes wrong. All this and more on this week's Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show, as always, Chris Cervello and John Schofield. Thank you, gentlemen. We thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. And let's begin today's show with Rearview. Gentlemen, yesterday, Robert Mueller took to the airwaves to give some statements um, on his investigation, uh, letting off a litany of, of statements that put social media and the reporting news ablaze. Uh, what do we take from yesterday's news? Um, was, it, was it relevant? Was it prudent for Robert Mueller uh, to make these statements? Uh, what did you get from it? Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, what did you take from from Robert Mueller uh, making the statements that he made yesterday? So from a factual standpoint, there was nothing new introduced yesterday. Um, and this is a point that I, I think level-headed journalism or excuse me, level-headed journalists have made um, throughout the overnight and into the morning that uh, essentially what Robert Mueller said at the podium um, was the, the exact same um, information that was in volume two of his report. What I see uh, the significance of yesterday's event is, is it's another blip. Um, it's another extension of this story. Maybe, maybe not ups the stakes on the decision-making for the Democrats on whether or not they want to uh, move forward with impeachment. But from a factual standpoint, nothing new. From a carrying the story forward, yeah, it's another blip. Now it's kind of being crowded out among other things that the, the president and others are talking about this morning. It was interesting, and John, I'll throw it to you here off of this comment. It was interesting to see the social media, the, the reporting. It was a, dare I say, a Cliff Notes version, putting a voice to uh, the actual Mueller report, uh, to hear from the special prosecutor who was assigned to it, and uh, people, I, I saw even some people saying like, oh, that's what Robert Mueller sounds like. But just putting a voice uh, to a report that I know that much of America has not read uh, or has been given, uh, given to in, in piecemeal segments. So uh, I thank you for, for saying that nothing factual, uh, there, were, there was no new uh, facts stated there. Uh, John, what's your take? He had almost taken up this mythical uh, position in the eyes of Americans, right? You would see pictures tweeted of him sitting in the same terminal at National Airport in close proximity to Jared Kushner or walking into a restaurant in Georgetown. Yeah, it was, it was almost like a Where's Waldo type of thing. So he had taken on this mythical air of, of authority and, and having conducted this very, this much ballyhooed investigation. And so that he finally existed as a human being in front of the eyes of the American people. Yeah, that means something. Um, I, I, I echo what Chris said, that it's just a blip. Uh, watching Fox News this morning, you have uh, Trump ranting and raving um, as he leaves the White House residence with the same talking points. You want to talk about someone who uses talking points right? 
this guy. Because all he said was, it doesn't matter what Robert Mueller did or said yesterday, there was no collusion. And I'll just keep shouting no collusion and I'll keep tweeting outrageous stuff and, and I'll stay on message. And whether Robert Mueller did it from a podium or whether he did it from a parachute or whether he did it in front of the Washington Monument or at a baseball game, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the, the response from the White House is always going to keep, um, is always going to be to keep President Trump on message to just shout no collusion because his base, that's all they understand. Um, not to disparage his base, but I, I kind of like doing that sometimes. It, that, it, as long as he said there's no collusion, that's the guy I believe. Not all of these multi-syllabic words being used by the special prosecutor or whoever he is at the podium yesterday. We'll take our boy in the red tie and, and the shouting of no collusion and calling people sleepy-eyed or skinny-necked or stuff like that. That's just how the narrative has gone. So nothing Robert Mueller was going to do yesterday is going to change that. Uh, and gentlemen, uh, as we continue to see the, uh, the, the spill out of that story yesterday afternoon, uh, we were met last evening, late last evening into the night, uh, and now early this morning with a news story that actually distracted us, um, dis distracted the, uh, the news cycle uh, from the uh, Mueller uh, statements yesterday. And that is with the USS John McCain, uh, a, a Navy destroyer stationed in Japan. Uh, you may have uh, you may have remembered that the uh, the John McCain, the USS John McCain, was actually involved in a ship collision uh, just over a year ago, where it lost uh, ten Navy crew members uh, at sea. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the um, the ship's uh, name uh, on the on the stern, adorned on the on the stern of the ship. Uh, was ordered to be out of sight, quote, out of sight. Uh, there are images of a white tarp uh, covering the John McCain as it sat, sat excuse me, uh, docked at its pier uh, over the weekend. So this is begging uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, consternation, uh, disgruntled uh, folks asking uh, why this happened. Uh, this order uh, reportedly came from a, an official within the White House uh, that the ship was to be uh, was to be out of sight uh, from the president, and even going so far as to say that members, crew members of the John McCain, uh, were given uh, quote a day off, uh, so as not to be wearing uh, the ship's namesake on any of their on any of their clothing or any of their gear. Um, gentlemen, this is this is cycling up; it's reaching a fever pitch here in the media. Plenty to talk about uh, from how it's covered. Uh, how it's been covered uh, in, in the Wall Street Journal, Journal and elsewhere. Um, but we are left to dissect, uh, one, the accuracy of the reporting, uh, two, uh, where this came from, and, and three, uh, how could the Navy uh, cover up the name of a, of a commissioned ship uh, at the request of the White House? So John, I will throw it to you first. Uh, where would you like to begin on this? I'll start with something we talked about last week, which is the, the injection of politics into the United States military, which I abhor. Um, I'm gonna sound a little bit like John Kirby here and saying that politics plays no place or has no place uh, within, within the military ranks. We have a chain of command, we have a structure, we have a commander in chief, and, and we expect uh, to conduct our business as a military free of the entanglements of partisan politics and, and the ugliness of politics. Uh, we talked about it last week with regard to the Fox and Friends show being on uh, 
on the, I believe it was the Wasp or, or one of the ships uh, up there for New York Fleet Week, uh, using political people as a backdrop. Uh, that's happened before. We've done it a lot, but this one had a lot more politics injected into it, as we talked about last week. Um, as he was in Japan, a lot was made on social media about some of the air crewmen uh, on that ship having a patch that said, make air crewmen great again, uh, thus kind of subtly voicing uh, their support, not necessarily for the commander in chief, but for the personality of Donald Trump. Um, and that can be debated, but I found the whole thing very troubling um, in that it's, it's another chapter in this, in this entire, in this entire series of very unprecedented actions by a chief executive. And, and this whole thing played really large in the news. It led off the Today Show and it's being talked about a lot as in terms of the veracity of the reporting. We've all known Gordon Lubold for years and years and years. And, and I'm quite sure that this wasn't a rush to post like he was a wire service. Uh, they, they did their due diligence and they tried to find multiple sources. And, and I frankly, as a personal citizen, I, I believe uh, what I'm reading about this. It sounds exactly like what the White House would wanna do. Uh, to continue to stick, you know, stick the McCain family in the eye. Uh, I always come back to the start of this entire sad narrative, which was when Trump actually said with regard to John McCain, you know, I like the guys who don't get captured. Thank you. Chris? Bash, thanks for, uh, thanks for that, John. Uh, I appreciate your comments. Um, but I, I want to make three points. Um, one is that this isn't a surprise. Two, that it unfortunately is consistent with how other White Houses have used the military um, as, uh, as backdrops uh, for larger events. And three, that the White House is actually benefiting from this bad news. The first is that it's uh, not a surprise. Um, John, you talked about the president's previous comments on John McCain. Um, unfortunately, you know, he's, he's chosen to take the low road um, in talking about and dealing with his political rivals even after their death. So I, I don't think anybody is surprised with the sentiment um, that is expressed by uh, this particular move, whether the president knew about it or didn't. Second is, is the consistency of uh, how the White House uses backdrops or doesn't use back backdrops. Uh, all, all three of us have been involved in uh, White House events where they were you know, down to what the size, shape, color, likability of the of the people behind the president was considered. Rust on ships was either hastily painted over, or they moved ships, or I mean, all all of this type of stuff occurs. I think in this case, they took that approach and it and it went too far. The last point is where I would um, would really camp out or really foot stomp. Um, who benefits from this story? The, the White House benefits from the story, right? If this is a story that leads the Today Show, if it leads all of the, you know, shows that the average American is watching in the morning, then it means that the Mueller report, that it means that, um, you know, special uh, prosecutor Mueller's comments about uh, the, the president don't lead. And so, you know, the, I think that the White House benefits from it. I think the more that people talk about it, I think the more that people cover it, the the less that we're focusing on Mueller, that we're focusing on China, that we're focusing on Iran, that we're focusing on the economy. So 
I would urge people from a communication standpoint, don't take the bait, shake this off, focus on the important stuff um, because this is just unfortunately part of the political game, even though it's distasteful. You make some very relevant points, Chris, and your, your statement about not taking the bait, uh, particularly as, as you're looking at uh, other communicators. But I think we know, um, and this is something for us to, you know, to dissect over and over and over again, what our national media, uh, what their focus is day in, day out. You know, so as, we, as you look across, whether it's Fox, MSNBC, CNN, uh, whomever uh, in, in the television news media, why will this be their focus first talking about Mueller? Or do you think it'll be a 50-50 split of some sort? They are talking about this because, I mean, this is kind of what they what they do, right? I mean, the Mueller report is um, is a a harder, um, I think, headier story, and so in this case, they've got the photos of the uh, of the tarp on the on the stern of the McCain. Um, it's a you know, it's it's a sexy enough uh, story that gets people's attention, and it it allows them to poke directly at the president and in on the things that the media and thought leaders find the most objectionable, and so therefore they uh, they've decided to go go this direction. Plus, they also I think really really like um, highlighting where he's where there's a gap between the president and the military or where he has used the military um, in an objectionable or inappropriate way. We talk a lot about the, the American public and what really, what really uh, gets them upset and gets them involved in the narrative. And your, your average American, with no disrespect to your average American, isn't really uh, getting involved in big policy issues, big debates, big issues like the the Mueller report as we've seen. But sometimes it all it takes is that is that very odd, you know, kind of in the nature of news that we used to teach at Dinfos, that that odd duck story, that odd duck misstep, uh, to really get them upset. Mueller report, got it, all I've heard is no collusion. There's all this Russia stuff. It takes too much time to read into it. But oh shit, you just did this incredibly petulant and childish thing uh, with regard to one of our Navy ships just because you didn't like the, the namesake. Um, it, I wonder how much this stirs uh, American um, distrust in a chief executive. It, it, I think his base stays the same. But this is what the media can capitalize upon because people aren't digging into the Mueller report and reading it. People aren't getting involved in issues like China unless you're in the national security sphere. They're going to get upset about pop culture things. And this is a pop culture thing. Um, I, I just wonder how much you think that'll move the needle. Well, it's going to be interesting here to, uh, to see the fallout over the course of today in the news as more, more and more people are made aware. Uh, folks, listen, hang with us. Uh, we took a look back, and when we return, we're going to jump into deep dive. Uh, you're listening to Three Season a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back, and it's time to deep dive. Folks, the United States Army Twitter feed in a lead up to Memorial Day had the notion to ask its audience specifically, 
how has serving impacted you? Now, while this was a simple enough ask, it prompted a more involved response from the public than anticipated, which if you followed in real time was rather eye-opening, sometimes jarring, and often educational. But it begs the question to communicators, specifically social media uh, professionals, what do you do when Twitter goes wrong? Gentlemen, who wants to jump in first here? Before you ask the question of what do you do when Twitter goes wrong, I think you need to make sure that you really consider um, the second, third, and fourth order effects of the plan or engagement strategy that, that you're going after. And I don't know if the Army did that, and um, it, it is really easy to, you know, Thursday morning quarterback um, the efforts of, uh, of the Army, um, you know, for Memorial Day. But, but I think, as you said in the open, I, I think it's a great example and a great item to look at when trying to decide if you want to crowdsource or if you want to um, actively engage your audience on a topic that you know may, may go either way. So obviously they hoped that this would go in a positive way. They teed up a positive video from a soldier that talked about how the um, army um, positively impacted his life, very consistent with the recruiting talking points. You know, took me from a austere place um, and you know raised me up to a higher level, gave me all sorts of tangible and intangible benefits um, as part of being uh, an, an army soldier. And then what, what you saw was the preponderance of the crowdsource material was kind of the negative story of the last 20 years. Um, PTSD, suicide, veteran struggles, losing limbs. I mean, it, it was really all of the stories that, quite frankly, Americans had grown tone deaf to over the last 20 years, or we probably still wouldn't be in Afghanistan or Iraq. I wonder, um, and I suggest, that um, the second, third, and fourth order effects of this type of campaign need to really be explored when making the decision to, to execute so that you can um, so that you can either guide the conversation or you're in a position to uh, re respond. Because I, I think that most people will, would look at this and say that this was a swing and a miss, right? I'm not sure it was a fail and I don't think it hurt the brand necessarily. Right. I don't think this is what they had hoped to achieve. Uh, John, how about you? Well, it brings into play the, the need to listen to your audience and whether you're going to engage with that audience uh, via a, a medium that is so fraught with risk like social media. Um, the, the Army is about to get a new chief of staff and maybe this new chief of staff wanted uh, this very frank feedback, uh, maybe using it as his own sociological survey of the environment out there and how, how Americans view the idea of service. Um, so in, in that sense, if, if that was the play made, a pretty, pretty aggressive and, and risky move to, to get some really frank feedback from the American public. I, I would hope that a, a very similar thing is happening within the ranks of the army with their own HR uh, and personnel departments to, to get a reading from U.S. Army soldiers about what service feels like for them and what their rate of satisfaction is. Um, I'll, I'll close by saying it, I really urge companies and institutions 
to make sure they have qualified and strategic thinking people uh, in positions within social media, uh, to make sure those people have a, a really good background within that service, know a lot of the idiosyncrasies of the army or of your company. I think a lot of companies out there, a lot of institutions are going straight for like the the 24 to 28 year old millennial who probably knows more about social media than the CEO ever would hope to know. And they've got two different Instagram accounts and five different Twitter burner accounts and they know how to get the analytics and Hey, because this person is young and more plugged into social media, let's hire them to be our social media or digital media director. Mm -hmm. I would urge people to resist that temptation and, and to, and to apply experience uh, to that position so that, um, so that they can, so that they can yield themselves success rather than failure. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, John. Thank you for that. Uh, the, as the preponderance of social media, you know, continues to just grow and grow and grow, we find that it's a landscape fraught with unseen potholes and obstacles. And when you jump out there, uh, you know, I, here with the army, you know, I don't, we, we can only um, speculate as to, you know, look, what did you think? And Chris, you said, you, you know, they, they probably didn't want the reaction or didn't seek to get the reaction that they got, but, but they got it. I mean, if they, if they intended for a larger discussion uh, on, on the impacts of service and, and, and uh, uh, both negative and po positive, well, you know, kudos to them for getting uh, the honest reaction that they got and they can go from there. What we saw for 48 hours was a reaction uh, from the public and then, you know, in, in essence, an effect on the brand, which they had to come back 48 hours later uh, with a Twitter feed, uh, I'm sorry, with, a, with a, um, a Twitter response to everyone who responded to this thread, thank you for sharing your story. Your stories are real, they matter, and they may help others in similar situations. The Army is committed to health, to the health, safety, and well-being of our soldiers. You know, so hey, they, they were paying attention, you know, which is, which is, I mean, how could they not? They had to see uh, the, the, the large response that they were getting um, and, and, and perhaps uh, an effect to the brand, at least in that, in that time and space. The, the military services are, are 10 years behind where social media has gone. Okay. I, I say this as somebody that ran the Navy social media effort, um, uh, you know, 10 years ago, actually it was like nine years ago. Um, and so we, we got a lot of credit for just showing up nine, 10 years ago, right? Hey, look, wow, the Navy's there, the Army's there, the Department of Defense is there and oh, they're putting out stuff and they're saying stuff. And um, I think we got a, a pass for the most part, right? Just because we were in the space and somewhere along the lines, our sophistication and our understanding and our appreciation for the social environment um, didn't grow. Um, I, I don't know if that's because we had our head in the sand. I don't know if it's because we changed jobs every year to three years. And so like you just kind of kept running the same plays. I, I don't know. I mean, there's maybe there's an analogy there with like the, the war in Afghanistan or Iraq. But I, I think that for an organization, for the military, for any business, for whatever that are that that are considering how to engage, particularly on Twitter, right? This is not a dip your feet in the water and you know sort of ease your way into the pool um, uh, approach. And you know, please forgive the summer analogy, but you've got to expect that your 
um, effort is going to be met with one skepticism two with pushback and three is going to have to be nimble enough that it changes to the way the audience receives your message. Um, I don't believe the army was positioned to do those three things with their Memorial day campaign. Now let's shift gears today. The Navy, uh, the new chief of information, we talked about Admiral Charlie Brown last week, um, decided to reactivate his, the Chinfo, the, the lead spokesman account, and wade into the discussion on the McCain. The feedback was not positive. Um, he was met with two big obstacles. One was just the complexity of the issue of how the, the White House and the Navy handled the whole McCain issue. Uh, lots of speculation. So to kind of weigh in on that issue, um, is a tough one to do, right? And so, I mean, he, he took a lot of flack um, just on that issue alone. The second was, is, was just to, to reactivate that account after being dormant uh, since 2014 and took a lot of flack and took a lot of um, criticism uh, along the transparency line of, hey, look, the Navy spokesman hasn't been on Twitter in, in, uh, in five years, what gives? And so I don't know if that when the Navy was making the decision to engage on the McCain issue and to use Twitter to engage in on, on that issue, if they walked the dog all the way out. Um, based on the feedback and how the last 24 hours or last 15 hours have unfolded, I would say they probably didn't uh, walk that dog fully. So in the spirit of this uh, segment, looking at lessons learned and deep diving, I would say you gotta walk that dog all the way out and you have to be prepared for the unexpected or you need to make the decision that is the risk really worth the reward in the end. Right, right. Yeah, it was pretty wild to see from the uh, chief of information Twitter account, this back and forth with the citizenry via Twitter and I think the only thing I would, I would advise is you've now set a very dangerous precedent of access that whenever a, a ship collision happens in the future, God forbid, or any other large news story involving the Navy, you, you have, and now you're first dipping the toe in the water, uh, set this very dangerous precedent of being available for this kind of real-time Twitter RTQ with the head Navy spokesperson. Just from a logistical standpoint, you don't have time for that shit. Now, I loved it. I thought it was pretty neat and, and something I'd, I had never seen before. But if, if I was in an advisory role, I would have said, well, you're never going to be able to keep that up, so why start now? Um, so it just it's something to think about. But yeah, the, the Twitter sphere requires varsity play. And, and if, you, if you're going out there with any kind of action, you better be thinking like a chess player and thinking a bunch of plays ahead. Uh, folks, stay with us. We're going to be coming right back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three Season of Pod with Provision Advisors. Gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon and what the next week may bring. Chris, you're up first. Hey, I'll be real quick. Um, so I have been on terminal leave from the military since February, um, and that 
terminal leave allows me to work and do things in a civilian capacity. But my official last day of being in the, the Navy is the 1st of June. Um, so that's Saturday. Um, so for me, the horizon is truly um, civilian life. And so I'm excited to, to begin that with my family and uh, with the two of you, uh, my business partners, really start the next chapter uh, for the Cervello family. So that, that's what I'm focused on. And congratulations. I think you know that we wish you all the best, my man. Thanks oh, a yes. lot. Beautiful, beautiful. John, over to you. Uh, two things, actually, really quick. Number one, I should have talked about it in rearview, uh, but it also has relevance for On the Horizon. This past week, the uh, staff of the uh, Capitol Gazette, the Annapolis Capitol, uh, received the Pulitzer Prize um, during the Pulitzer Prize ceremony in New York. A really great day for them um, as we are now rapidly approaching as we hit the month of June, the one year anniversary of, uh, of that terrible shooting and that terrible day uh, in the Capitol Gazette newsroom. In fact, uh, Chris and I were together at a Baltimore Orioles baseball game as that whole event played out. And I'll never forget the dread that I felt and the sadness that overcame me when I realized that among the deceased were, were people I knew, colleagues I had worked with, and, and friends, uh, lifelong friends. So on the horizon of that, I, I'm, looking, I'm looking to see how uh, the trend of, of the relationship with journalists, um, where journalism matters, the truth matters, supporting your local paper, how that goes. I'd also like to look out on the horizon on what the relationship is going to be like with baseball and their fans. Uh, last night, I would encourage everybody to watch this video. Albert Almora of the Chicago Cubs hit a foul ball that must have been going 120 miles an hour off the bat. And it went right into the stands, right past the netting where the netting is usually up and hit a little girl right in the head. And that little girl is in serious condition in the hospital in Houston right now. Uh, but the video showed the true humanity of, of uh, the game and of the players. Uh, Albert Almora, who hit the ball, was in tears, inconsolable, uh, hugging the security people around that area where the girl was hit. And for a second, it wasn't about millionaires and billionaires and wild card races and, and pennant chases. It was about the human interaction between baseball players and their fans. And I truly hope that that little girl uh, overcomes the injury she sustained last night. And I hope this becomes a, a norm in terms of the close bond that baseball players share with their fans. Folks, my, my On the Horizon uh, moves to uh, Jeopardy and, and Jeopardy James. Uh, I've mentioned him before and following this quest. Uh, James Halshauer out of Las Vegas, he uh, moved a little closer last night to the all-time record for total Jeopardy winnings. Uh, this uh, proclaims professional sports gambler uh, netted his 30th victory in a row, uh, which brought his earnings to a total of just over $2.3 million, uh, which brings him within just under $200,000 of the, uh, the all-time Jeopardy legend Ken Jennings, uh, who had, um, in 2004, just over $2.5 million. Uh, so I'm going to be watching that. Uh, I know some people are uh, maybe a little tired of Jeopardy James and saying that he turned Jeopardy on its head and it's no longer fun to watch with his... Uh, sort of awkward way of, of wagering, uh, but it's, uh, it's intense. And, and the only way you get uh, that far in 30 consecutive winnings is actually if you know a little something about, uh, about the world. Uh, and so you gotta celebrate his knowledge uh, at the very least. So I'm gonna be checking that out. 
Uh, have a great weekend. And until next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.